All right, morning, everyone. Got the privilege of being with you all again today. Um, I think uh, John's finishing up his classes today and then is starting his vacation. See, so if you guys want to be praying for him and his family to get rest the next three weeks, uh, that'd be really great. Uh, they, they need it after a long season of, of ministry in school. Um, so last week we looked at Acts 21, 1 through 36, and focus on God's provision, God's sovereignty, and the importance of a clear gospel message as we, in the life of Paul as he traveled from Ephesus to Jerusalem and then was arrested shortly after he arrived in Jerusalem. Um, today we will be going through Acts 21, verse 37, through 22, verse 30. And next week we have the privilege of hearing from Tyler, as he, one of the elders in training, as he walks us through Acts 23. Today I want to focus on how Paul defended himself, the government's God-given role to protect the innocent and hold the guilty accountable, and how Israel forgot both who they were and what God had commissioned them to do. All right, so let's dive in. Acts twenty-one thirty-seven through twenty-two twenty-one. As Paul was about to be brought into the barracks, he said to the commander, May I say something to you? And he said, Do you know Greek? Then you are not the Egyptian who some time ago stirred up a revolt and led 4,000 men of the assassins out into the wilderness. But Paul said, I am a Jew of Tarsus in Cilicia, a citizen of no insignificant city. And I beg you, allow me to speak to the people. When he had given him permission, Paul, standing on the stairs, motioned to the people with his hand. And when there was a great hush... He spoke to them in the Hebrew dialect, saying, Brethren and fathers, hear my defense, which I now offer to you. And when they had heard that he was addressing them in the Hebrew dialect, they became even more quiet. And he said, I am a Jew, born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in this city, educated under Gamaliel, strictly according to the law of our fathers, being zealous for God, just as you all are today. I persecuted this way to death. Binding and putting both men and women into prisons, and also the high priest, as also the high priest and the council of the elders can testify. From them I also received letters to the brethren, and started off for Damascus in order to bring even those who were there to Jerusalem as prisoners to be punished. But it happened that as I was on my way, approaching Damascus about noontime, a very bright light suddenly flashed from heaven all around me. And I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And I answered, Who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus the Nazarene, whom you are persecuting. And those who were with me saw the light, to be sure, but did not understand the voice of the one who was speaking to me. And I said, What shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, Get up and go on into Damascus. And there you will be told what has been appointed for you to do. But since I could not see because of the brightness of the light, I was led by the hand by those who were with me and came into Damascus. A certain Ananias, a man who was devout by the standards of the law and well spoken of by the Jews who lived there, came to me and standing near said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very time I looked up at him. And he said, 
The God of our fathers has appointed you to know his will and to see the righteous one and to hear an utterance from his mouth. For you, for you will be a witness to him to all men of what you have heard and seen. Now why do you delay? Get up and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. It happened that when I returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple, that I fell into a trance, and I saw him saying to me, Make haste, get out of Jerusalem quickly, because they will not accept your testimony about me. And I said, Lord, they themselves understand that in one synagogue after another, I used to imprison and beat those who believed in you. And when the blood of your witness Stephen was being shed, I also was standing by approving and watching out for the coats of those who were slaying him. And he said to me, Go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. Right. As we read last week, Paul was accused of preaching against the Jews, against the law of Moses, against the temple, and of bringing Gentiles into the temple. Here, after he clears up that he is not the Egyptian who led a revolt against Roman rule a few years earlier, he asks the Roman commander for permission to speak to the people and to give a defense against these accusations. And the commander, hoping to find out why Paul had caused the disturbance, allowed him to do so. He first addresses the crowd reverently and in their own language, the same way Stephen started his defense in Acts 7. For the accusation that Paul was speaking against the Jewish people, Paul testifies that he himself is a Jew. He was born of Tarsus, meaning that he was culturally educated, but that he was raised in Jerusalem. Uh, And not only was he raised in Jerusalem, he was taught under Gamaliel, who was the best teacher of the day among the Pharisees. To be under the school of Gamaliel would be similar to graduating with a degree in MIT uh, with engineering, or from graduating with Harvard with a law degree. Um, Everyone respected Gamaliel and his disciples. Uh, This meant that Paul was trained as one of the best Pharisees. And what Paul is saying, that he's just as Jewish as everyone there that day, um, if not more so. As to the accusation that Paul spoke out against the law, Paul defended himself by making mention of how zealous he was for God and for the law. Not only was he a Pharisee, one of the sects of Judaism that held the law in very high esteem and held it to a very strict standard, but he was more zealous than other Pharisees in that he actively tried to eliminate all the threats that he saw uh, that would be harmful to the worship of God, which included the way or Christianity. He was under the authority of the high priest, um, Yeah, so he was under the authority of the high priest as he persecuted the Christians. So not only was he zealous in his own understanding and did what he thought was right, as so many do today, but he was actually under the God-ordained authority to do so. It was while he was so focused on keeping the law that Jesus came to him in the vision. On the road of Damascus, uh, God revealed that Paul was walking in deception and instead of truth, and then gave him a mission. A brief side note on Paul's conversion. God started the work in Paul, and then Paul responded and obeyed so that uh, he would be saved. Look in verse 16. 
Ananias told Paul, Now why do you delay? Get up and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. Um, It's important that baptism does not save anyone, but it is an outward expression of the inward change. The washing away of sins is calling on the name of Jesus. Paul had this dramatic encounter with God, but that did not save him. Ananias told Paul that he must call upon the name of Jesus to be saved, and then Paul obeyed. Here we see both God's sovereignty and our responsibility. God, we cannot start the work of salvation in ourselves or in anyone else. God does that. However, once God starts a work in us, it is our responsibility to respond to him correctly. And as he says in Hebrews 3.15, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For the accusation of preaching against the temple, not only does Paul mention that he was previously under the authority of the high priest and the elders, which means he was under the authority of the temple, but after his conversion, he went to the temple to pray. And during this, he saw a vision of God warning him to leave because the people would not listen to his testimony. Not only this, but he was in the temple assisting other Jews complete a vow when he was apprehended. Paul was not against the temple at all, but he actively participated in the worship of Jesus while he was at the temple. The final accusation brought against Paul was that he had brought Gentiles into the temple. And as we learned last week, that was punishable by death. However, Paul had not brought any Gentiles into the temple. And in defense to And in his defense of ministering to the Gentiles, Paul gives his testimony of encountering Jesus in a radical way and then having Jesus give him the ministry to the Gentiles. And then it was confirmed by Ananias, who was a godly, law-keeping Jew, who was spoken well of by everyone in Damascus. By doing this, Paul turns the tables and tells the people that their issue is actually with God and not with Paul. Because God had saved him in a radical way, God had given him a vision, and God had given him a mission. So if people didn't like him working with the Gentiles, they needed to bring that up with God. Um, He had a clear conscience when defending himself. So what does that mean for us? 1 Peter 3, 13-16 Who is there to harm you if you prove zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness... You are blessed, and do not fear their intimidation, and do not be troubled, but sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence, and keep a good conscience so that in the thing in which you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ will be put to shame. There is no benefit if we suffer and are accused for doing something that we shouldn't do. But if it is because of Christ, we are to rejoice, and we are to give a defense with all gentleness and respect, just as Paul did. This this brings us to the second point, which is a government's God-given role as as a protector of the innocent and accountability for wrongdoers. We've already seen how the Roman commander brought Paul into custody, both to save him from death, but also to investigate if there was any anything that Paul had done wrong. We'll see it more clearly in verses 22 through 30. Speaking of the Jews in the crowd, they listened to him up to this statement. 
And then they raised their voices and said, Away with such a fellow from the earth, for he should not be allowed to live. As they were crying out and throwing off their cloaks and tossing dust into the air, the commander ordered him to be brought into the barracks, stating that he should be examined by scourging so that he might find out uh, the reason why they were shouting against him that way. But when they had stretched him out with thongs, Paul said to the centurion who was standing by, It is... Is it lawful for you to scourge a man who is a Roman and uncondemned? When the centurion heard this, he went to the commander and told him, saying, What are you about to do? For this man is a Roman. The commander came and said to him, Tell me, are you a Roman? And he said, Yes. The commander answered, I acquired this citizenship with a large sum of money. And Paul said, But I was actually born a citizen. Therefore, those who were about to examine him immediately let go of him, and the commander also was afraid when he found out that he was a Roman, and because he had put him in chains. But on the next day, wishing to know for certain why he had been accused by the Jews, he released him and ordered the chief priests and all the council to assemble, and brought Paul down and set them before him. The people listened to Paul until he said that he was sent to the Gentiles, and then they lost it. More to come on this in the third point, but I want to draw attention to the reaction. They were calling for Paul's death, and they began by sh- to shed their cloaks. One other to- only one other time in Acts did we see this, uh, and that was in chapter 7, when they put their cloaks at the feet of Paul as they killed Stephen. Now, that now they were preparing to stone Paul, and if the Romans hadn't intervened, uh, than they would have, but the government actually did its job. The commander brought Paul in and wanted to get information as to whether or not he should be tried. And because he didn't have any information as of this point on why Paul was causing an uproar, he needed to find out why in the world this was going on. So he turned to uh, means to extract information. Uh, scourging was a form of torture. Um, it was actually very common in that day to uh, get information this way. But because it was, it was not just a whip. It was a whip with metal and bone embedded in, into it. And because of its tendency to maim or even kill those that were under interrogation, it was illegal to use on Roman citizens. Um, Paul knew that there was a due process for prosecuting citizens. And he used this to his advantage. Um, Paul was fine with being imprisoned. um, But he also knew that both it could end up in harming the gospel and his ministry, but also the Roman who was committing this against him could also be killed. And so Paul spoke up. He protected both the commander, the centurion, and himself. Um, and then there was the question of his citizenship the commander paid a large sum of money for his citizenship it was not easily attained in those days Um, Paul Paul was actually born and that's why the centurion questioned him Uh, the centurion doubted that he had the money to be able to afford it he doubted that he had the means to acquire citizenship through other means, whether military service. 
but Paul's father was a citizen. Um, so that meant that Paul was an elite, elite in the Roman Empire. After all, the, all, after all this, the commander called the council of the Jews to assemble to see what Paul had been accused of. This is the role the government should play. They should seek out a matter to determine the truth. The, this commander was determined to get to the bottom of why Paul had caused an uproar and to hold the guilty party responsible. But he also followed the law to protect the innocent. Ultimately, Paul's hope was in God and not in the government uh, for deliverance, although it worked out for his benefit this time. And our hope should also be in God and not in our government. Both Paul and Peter give us action points for relating to our government. In Romans 13, 1 through 7, it says this, Every person is to be in subjection to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. Therefore, whoever resists authority has opposed the ordinance of God, and they who have opposed will receive condemnation upon themselves. For rulers are not a cause for fear, for good behavior, but for evil. Do you want to have no fear of authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. For it is a minister of God to you for good. But if you do what is evil, be afraid, for it does not bear the sword for nothing. For it is a minister of God, an avenger who brings wrath on the one who practices evil. Therefore, it is necessary to be in subjection, not only because of wrath, but also for conscience' sake. For because of this, you also pay taxes. For rulers are servants of God, devoting themselves to this very thing. Render to all what is due to them. Tax to whom taxes do, custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. We are to be subject to the authorities that God has placed in our life. Uh, now, 1 Peter two thirteen through 17 also speaks into this, and it is more potent. Um, in this day, Peter was writing under the persecution of Nero. So the government was actually persecuting the Christians when Peter wrote this. And he said, Submit yourselves to, for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether as to a king as the one in authority, or to governors as sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do right. For such is the will of God, that by doing right you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. Act as free men, and do not use your freedom as a covering for evil, but use it as bondslaves of God. Honor all people, love their brotherhood, fear God, and honor the king." We are exhorted to honor the authority and trust God that he's holding the government to account for how they respond to us and how they respond to their God-given role in the way they're treating the guilty and the innocent. 1 Timothy 2, 1-2, we are urged to pray for our authorities and for the government so that we may live a peaceful and quiet life. A brief note here. Public demonstration against the government is not something a person whose hope in God should participate in and it will rarely bring beneficial change. Instead, when we see injustice, and when we see the government not doing their role, we should turn to God and ask him for leaders who would rule justly and rightly before God and men. We need to ask him to change our leaders' hearts 
so that they may, uh, they may know him and that their, their lives may be saved also. All right, the band wants to start coming up. We're going into our third and final point. And we're looking at what Israel was called to do and how they forgot it. In Paul's day, as we touched briefly on last week, there were extreme tensions between the Jews and the Gentiles. The Jews hated them. This is due to several different things, but mostly it comes down to things that happened to the Jews during the exile uh, and then the time after that. Israel was exiled by God because they had forgot that they were called to be a holy and separate people. They were supposed to be a nation of priests unto God and had allowed themselves to look like the culture around them. After the exile, the rabbis did not want to repeat this history, and so they, they set up uh, these fence laws. What, what the fence laws were were laws that extended past the law of Moses so that they could avoid potentially breaking a law without realizing it. Um, they, they wanted to be so holy that they would never have to worry about breaking the law again. However, in doing so, they actually broke the law because the law says to not add another word to it. Um, and many of these fence laws dealt with interactions with non-Jews. Uh, these laws are why it was not good for Peter to go to Cornelius' house in Acts 13 and why the Jews would not associate with the Gentiles. But God's heart was different. The Jews were supposed to be his people to reach the rest of the world and to reconcile them with God as their creator. Genesis 12, 1 through 3, says that all people would be blessed through Abraham and his descendants. Genesis twenty-eight fourteen says the same thing about Jacob. In Psalm 67, the psalmist proclaimed that God blesses Israel so that they would be a blessing to all the nations and that all the earth may fear God. Psalm 96 urges the people of the earth to come to God. Isaiah 11.10 says that all nations will come to the root of Jesse, also known as the Messiah. Isaiah 49.6 says, It is too small a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved ones of Israel. I will also make you a light of the nations so that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. Zechariah 8, 20 through 23 says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, it will, be, it will yet be that the people will come, even the inhabitants of many cities. The inhabitants of one will go to another, saying, Let us go at once to entreat the favor of the Lord and to seek the Lord of hosts. I will also go. So many peoples and, many, and mighty nations will come to seek the Lord of the hosts in Jerusalem and to entreat the favor of the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, In those days ten men from all the nations will grasp the garment of a Jew, saying, Let us go with you, for we have heard that God is with you. Israel forgot their their mission a second time. Only this time it was not becoming like the cultures around them. It was becoming exclusive and focusing so much on religious activity that they they forgot that they were supposed to be a light to those who didn't know God around them. Jesus gave his disciples a new command to accomplish this forgotten purpose. In Matthew 28, 18 through 20, he told his disciples to make disciples of all nations. 
This was Paul's commission as well. And the Jews could not hear it because they had traded God for religion and control. If you're new to Antioch, as Hunter said earlier, we are a family who seeks God together on mission. This is what God has called us to do. Um, Now, I didn't plan on this being the same Sunday that we opened up Miami. Uh, This was on my heart whenever I first saw this chapter. Um, So you can thank God for his providence and sovereignty and the timing of this. But what a family who seeks God together looks like practically, it looks like having grace for one another that both forgives and overlooks our shortcomings, but also empowers us to overcome sin. It looks like having honor for one another, having a humble and teachable heart, having a hunger for God and his word, having a joy in serving God with all excellence and all diligence means going on mission with one another to share this good news with those that don't know it yet. We must not forget who we are and what God has called us to do. This year, as we have dug deeper into the word, we must remember that we need the word to inform us of who God is and how to worship him correctly. But if that word isn't causing us to increase in our obedience and worship, something is off. If, our, if we are not motivated by an increase in the word to grow in our faith, then something's off. If we're not motivated to share this good news we have received with those who don't know, something's off. And I'm not sharing this. Uh, I already shared that part. <laughs> we must never lose sight of what God has called us to do. And we must never give in to the culture or become so focused on learning and being religious that we forget the God who has rescued us from darkness and placed us into his marvelous light. Um, To summarize this morning, remember how Paul defended himself with all gentleness and respect. Honor the authority that God has placed in your lives and pray for them that it may go well with you. And do not forget what God has called us to be and the mission he's called us to. And now we're going to be going into a time to respond. Um, so I encourage you to, to pray with one another if you need prayer. Ask for prayer. Um, yeah, let our hearts turn back to God in this time. So yeah, Father.